Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. The title of this message is called A Few Good Men. Now, I know that's going to upset a few people, but I ask you to just bear with me because it's the name of a good movie. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Okay, but um, so A Few Good Men, I called it that because A Few Good Humans doesn't quite have the same ring to it, uh, but I'm a movie buff. And I thought that. So when you see a few good men, everybody else, just remember that's also women. Because men is in women. Don't know if you know that. Just putting it out there. Okay, today we're going to look at our first scripture. And it says in Isaiah 30, 43 verse 1, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. And we've heard that today. And I have called you by name, you are mine. Powerful scripture, isn't it? But how many of us actually believe it? And it's easy to believe when life is going well. But it becomes a lot harder when the circumstances and the facts of our life do not support that. When things are not going so well. I look at the, you know, the COVID-19, which is now should be called COVID-19-221. Or is it, is it the sequel or the treacle, you know? Um, but COVID-19 has placed a lot of burden on a lot of people. And, and you would sit there and sometimes declare, I have called you by name and you are mine. Are you with me? We're going to have a look at a guy today. I'm a, I love the Old Testament. Um, and his name is Gideon. We're just going to quickly whiz through his story just to see how his life was uh, impacted by, eventually, his faith in God. We see in Judges 6, that the children of Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you're a bit of a history buff, you see that in Judges, it talks about the seven cycles of rebellion, or the seven cycles or the seven times the children of Israel had forsaken their relationship with God. We often think that God punishes people. I don't think God actually punishes anybody, which I think is a bit odd, isn't it, really? But what he does is he allows the choices you make and the consequences they incur to come upon you. So it's usually the consequences of our action is what it comes across to us. We make a bad choice, another series of bad choices, and the consequences often come upon us. It's not God punishing us. It's just that he's allowing us to live the life that we have chosen to live. This is what happened to the children of Israel. They chose to live their life, and he sent, well, the Midianites obviously invaded because God's hand of protection had lifted off the children of Israel. The Midianites came in, and they were like a bunch of locusts. And what they would do is they would just take all the food, all the fat of the land for themselves, and the children of Israel found themselves scraping the scraps to survive. But Israel eventually calls out. It took seven years, seven years of suffering, for them to call out and say, Lord, where are you? You know, we see in Judges 6, verse 8, he says, The Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you out of the Egypt and I brought you out of the houses of slavery. I delivered you, in verse 9, from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all those who oppressed you and drove them out before you. And I gave you this land. And I say unto you, I am, you, I am the Lord your God. You should not fear the, the gods of the Amorites, whose land you now dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel, so what happens here we see is that they did not obey his voice. 
We often think that God, sometimes we get this image that God is a God that says, you must do what I tell you. But the God that I follow, and the God I see, is God who just wants to be in relationship. Yeah. But when you, when, you know, when you have a relationship with a husband and wife, and, 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 and one of the parties decides not to honour and respect that relationship, well, the other person has to make a decision, don't they? Do I support that bad behaviour, or do I step aside? And what we see is people step aside because they're no longer going to support a negative behaviour. So all God does is in relationship is he goes, if you don't want to be in relationship with me, that's your choice, not mine. My, my desire is to always be in relationship with you. So we see here in verse 11, and an angel of the Lord came and sat down by a tree while the son of Gideon, while he's, uh, they're long names anyway, but uh, Gideon was beating the wheat in a wine press to hide from the Midianites. So what we see here is a guy. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen thrashing wheat in the old days. They used to thrash it in the wind. So the wheat would drop and the shaft would just blow away. It was the best way to get the wheat. It was in the wind. So here he is in a wine press, which is surrounded by four walls, uh, where it's like a big bowl, and he's thrashing the wheat with no wind. Because what he got from the wheat thrashing, he wanted to keep for himself. Because he knew that if he was seen out in public uh, thrashing the wheat, the Midianites would take his food. So here he is hiding. It's interesting what the Lord says, the angel says next. So what happens is, here Israel is in oppression, okay? And you see that he's now become content with his discontent. He, he, He got so used to what the circumstances of life were that he modified his behaviour and sat in the, sat in the wine press and thrashed wheat. How often do we find ourselves sometimes, the circumstances of our life govern us, that we make allowances or change behaviours yeah. to suit the circumstances of our life? So complacency, I like that word, or indifference is the same thing. Well, slightly different. But, um, but complacency is a self-satisfaction with unawareness of the actual dangers or deficiencies we currently face. So sometimes we can become complacent in our life because it's easy. We're not happy, but we're not really driven to change our circumstance or our life. <clears throat> so Gideon wasn't standing for what was right. He wasn't saying, I am a son of the living God, and I'm going to stand here and declare that. He was hiding in a wine press. We see in verse 12, he says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, that's a bit of a contradiction. Here he is a coward hiding in a wine press. And the angel calls him and says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So what the angel was saying was, was identifying who he was, not what he was doing. That's a yeah. fundamental difference is God will always tell you who you are, Very good. not necessarily support what you're doing. Yeah. So sometimes we've got to look at it and go, what is God calling us? Because that's ultimately what it is. Yes. What does God call you? Not who you call yourself or not how you're living or what circumstances define you. God's calling him a hero when he's not actually acting like a hero at all. He's a, He's a bit of a coward. But, you know, Gideon goes on a journey, and I find Gideon's a great journey because Gideon was the least, least, um, the, the least person you would actually ever consider to be a person who would be a hero. 
So Gideon said to him, please, O God, if you are the Lord with us, why then has this happened to us? That would have to be the cry of the world today. Where is God? Why is there so much suffering? If there was a God, why is it all this happening? You know, this virus, where is God? You know, but the thing at the end of the day is, if you eat a bat and you get sick, well, the consequences are the same. You know what I mean? Well, whatever happened with the bat in China, you know? And now, now we've got COVID-19, okay? Is that God that brought COVID-19? No, you just don't eat bats because you don't eat bats. You know, it's a pretty simple simple thing, okay? But he says here, and where, we, where are your wonderful deeds that our father recount to us, saying, did not the God... I did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us over to the hand of the Midianites. God has forsaken us. What a lie that's been told by so many people. God has forsaken us. No, often you'll find that it is us who have forsaken the will of God or the relationship of God. The Gideon's response is, is very modern today, isn't it? That's what we hear, you know, with people saying, where is God? Then the angel tells Gideon to go and that he's going to go and save Israel from the Midianites. Um, it's a bit similar to Moses, isn't it? When Moses says, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that you will bring your people out of Egypt?" Or Jeremiah, who said, "Behold, Lord, how can I speak? For I am only but a youth." The Bible is littered with people who talk about their own self, not the declaration that's been made by God over their life. They have succumbed to the natural and their natural opinion of who they are. And ultimately, that's what they work out of. What's going to take us, and this is what we're going to look at, is what took Gideon. What is it going to take for us to step into what God has destined us for and what God has called us for and leave the complacency of our comfortable existence whereby we're comfortable. Well, I'm not happy, but I'm comfortable. It's all right. I can manage what I've got. But God is calling us greater things. And then verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. It's interesting how he says that. Go in this might of yours. What he's saying is, go in the authority I've already given you. Go in the power that I have already ordained to you. Step out in what you're meant to be doing, not living the way you've chosen to live. And he says, and save Israel... From the hand of the Midianites, did I not send you? I sent you. Now, it's interesting here, the miracle will only come from the moment we move from our complacency or our discontent and step into what God has actually called upon our lives. And we see here, he goes in verse 15, he says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. So to summarise that, Manasseh was the lowest tribe, okay, on the scale. For some reason, it fell down to the bottom. His family is the least in Manasseh, and he's the youngest. So he's saying, I'm the youngest of the lowest family of the lowest tribe. Who am I to speak your words? Who am I to save the children of Israel? Who am I? Because he's looking at himself. He's not looking at how God saw him. He's not looking at what God had impacted on his life. One thing that I love about God is he never picks the hero, the, the obvious hero. You know what I mean? He picked Rahab the harlot. 
He picked Ruth, the Moabite. He picked, he picks all these random people who are less entitled to anything. To teach us one thing in the 21st century is it's not about our past. It's not about what we've done, what we think we are. It's about who he's destined us to be. So he says, I choose those who I believe and have called. Not what, you know, Saul was the first king of Israel, chosen because he was the tallest, the muscliest, the biggest. But David was the one that was chosen by God, who was a little, little runty fella, but had a good shot, the slingshot. God doesn't choose people because they are the obvious choice. He chooses people because of the innate nature of who they are. So therefore, Gideon has to face two major battles here. The first one is, well, the first one is himself. It's actually three. My notes say two, but I've changed it to three. The first one is who he is. Next one is the children of Israel now have fallen to worshipping idols. And then the big problem, the Midianites, who were like locusts, that, you know, uh, they had an army, a standing army of 135,000 men of war. One man against 135,000. The odds aren't great. But his first battle was himself. The second battle was obviously Israel. The third battle was going to be the Midianites. And that's often for us as well. We've got to face the battle of ourselves first. Who we are. Second one is those around us. And then third, the call of God upon our life. And in verse 16, it says, And the Lord said unto him, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. As one man. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Go and fight the Chinese and see how you go. <laughs> <laughs> or any pick a nation. Just pick a nation. You know what I mean? But anyway, the Lord does not tell Gideon how he's going to do it. All he says is, I am with you. I mean, you know, we like, you know, can I Google that? What's that mean? I am with you. What does it actually mean as a, I am with you? Here we go, God, could you give me a little bit more detail on how I'm going to actually achieve this? How am I going to do this? So Gideon, um, being the man he is, he lacks a lot of faith. Okay, so what we see here is he goes and, um, I'll just jump down a fraction. Uh, Let's go to verse 25. And the Lord... That night the Lord came to him and he said, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the idol of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah, which is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord for God is uh, for, for your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due course and take the second bull and offer it as a burnt sacrifice uh, on the wood from the Asherah. So what he's got to do is he goes and does this. He does it, doesn't do it during the day because he's too scared. He still hasn't quite got the gist that he's, he's ordained by God. So he does it at night time, gets ten servants. They go and pull it down. And then they build an altar on the exact same spot where there's a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold to Baal. Now remember, Baal was the fertility god, the, the god that produced fertility of the land. Obviously, Israel wasn't living in the fertile land at this stage. And so he pulls it down, tears it down, tears down the Asherah, uses the timber of the Asherah to burn an offering to God. In the morning, his father gets up and he's, he'd be probably pretty cranky because it was him, the one that set the idol up in the first place. But then the whole community comes because that was their place of worship had been knocked down and they wanted Gideon's blood. Who is this young runt who's coming to do this? He's like, he's your youngest son for crying out loud. 
Who is, how dare he pull down the idol of Baal? But then you see his father sees what Gideon has done and obviously has seen the complacency of his own life, stands and says, well, if Baal's a god, let him judge Gideon and deal with Gideon. If not, leave him alone. What we see is a conversion of the town because of that one action. Conversion of the town and redeclared the relationship with God. Soon what happens is it permeates the whole way through the children of Israel, particularly the tribe of Manasseh. So what happens is, uh, cut a long story short, Gideon's still not satisfied that God is with him. Right? And now he's got this little thing permeating away. He's not confident. So he pulls out the old fleece and he says, if it's wet in the morning and the ground is dry, I'll believe you. Throws it out. It's wet. Ground's dry. He, he goes, Wah. why don't we flip it? The fleece is dry next morning and we'll have wet ground. So again, it's the same. He still doesn't quite believe that he is chosen by God to make this miracle happen. So what happens is, is someone gets a dream, he tells him of the dream, and we jump to, um, we'll jump to that. At this time, Gideon's name is changed to Jeroboam. Now, I don't know what that actually means. It's got Baal in there, so it might be the killer of Baal. I'm only suggesting. But the problem is he changed his name, and sometimes we need to change our name. Sometimes we have a name of complacency. Sometimes we need to be... And the good thing about the Old Testament was that when they changed their mindset and changed who they were, they changed their name. It was like Jacob changed his name to Israel. Paul chose... Uh, from Saul, he chose Paul as his name because they wanted to declare that they were new, that they had a destiny, they had a purpose. They were no longer on the direction they were going on. They're now on a new, complete direction. And we see here that Gideon calls for the army and 32,000 men turn up to fight 135 men of war. Now, this is 32 people who haven't been trained in war, but, hey, we'll give it a go. Um, and God says, too many. You go, oh, man, you're making it hard for me. That's four to one odds against us, but at least it's four to one. He goes, too many. So he says, who is ever fearful, let him go and depart and 22,000 left. Leave it in with 10. He goes, okay, I've got 10,000 against 135,000. Okay, that's 13 to 14 to 1. Yeah, okay. God says, too many. And you go, oh my goodness. Okay, so he then tests the 10,000 and basically gets them to go down to the water. And the manner in which they drink determines whether they are men of war. And only 300 out of the 10,000 are chosen. A few good men. 300 against 135,000, which is almost 500 to 1. I mean, you'd be sitting there and poor old Gideon, he's got his 300, you can just imagine he's got his 300 chosen. He's the leader and he's not even in full faith yet. He's not even believing that this is all going to happen. He doesn't even know what it looks like. And God said, I'm just with you. And that was too many people. Now you've got 300, I'm happy. I'm glad, God, you're happy with 300, but I still don't understand what's going on. So you sit down and he goes, and so in verse chapter 7, verse 15, we read, and as soon as Gideon, this is when he hears a, he hears a prophetic word. We heard about prophesy and sing. What words have been spoken over your life? What words have been declared over your life? What words have we let go of in our life? What has been spoken? Hasn't been spoken in vain. It's been spoken for a reason. Have we taken that? 
Have we absorbed that? Are we living that? That's the question. So Gideon goes, so he hears the dream and the interpretation and he begins to worship. It's an interesting thing. I was reading an article the other day talking about longevity, that people want to live long, and the 10 common things that the most, uh, the, the, the communities that live the longest. It was interesting. One of them was they have a faith. Second, one of the other, it wasn't the second one, but it was in the 10. Second, another one was they regularly fellowship of that faith. They regularly pray and they live generous lives. Okay, this is a scientific, this is not a Christian group. This is, this is a scientist looking at all different communities. You know, and they say it's because daily prayer focuses your soul. Rests your soul. Giving, being generous lives, blesses your soul. And regular fellowship hones your soul. It's interesting, eh? Just as a side issue. Uh, and he returned to the camp and he said, Rise up for the Lord has given them. He said, He walks in and he goes, Rise up, you 300 good men, because we're going to win today. And he came out with confidence. This is the first time we see Gideon have confidence at all because the whole time he's going, who am I, who am I, what am I? Okay, I'm doing these things, still not believing. But the moment he says he gets it and he finally gets it, he says, we're going to win today. So he says he divided his 300 men into three companies. To come along, story short, they had to leave their swords behind. Okay, so, like, I'm a policeman. If you told me that, uh, okay... We're going to take your gun off you. We're going to take your taser off you. We're going to take your OC spray and handcuffs off you. And we're going to talk nicely to people. That's how we're going to police. I would say, probably time for me to leave. <laughs> you know, I like my gun. I'm really happy with my gun. Because when you go to danger, you want your weapons, don't you? So what he does is he replaces their weapons with a trumpet and a pitch with a light in it. Okay? They can't carry their sword. So they go and they stand around the Midianite camp, 300 of them. What we don't realise is that at that time, a trumpet represented the calling card of a regiment. And that regiment can vary from a couple of hundred to a thousand people. It depends on your nation, depends on the history. But let's just assume for argument's sake that it represented a company of 200. Okay? So, and when they broke the light, this was the rallying point for that regiment. In the, in the modern era, we, you know, you'll see the... You know, like in the 18th century, you saw their colours. Have you ever seen the colours, like the flag? And the regimental sergeant would stand there, or the regimental ensign stands there as a rallying point for the square. That was a thousand men would go to their flag. This is no different. Trumpet was the calling card, like the bugle. You know, we played the bugle the last post. That's not just a nice thing to do for, to remember soldiers. It was actually a battle cry. Okay? So these 300 guys stand around this big camp blow their trumpets and yell out, with the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Well, they did it at the third watch, which is around three o'clock in the morning. So people are, it's dark, people are just waking up to do the change of shift. And all of a sudden, they don't realise, what they, what they see is all these lights and all these trumpets, they go into panic mode, and because it's dark, they don't have street lighting like we had. Someone's running at them with a sword, what are you thinking? Friend or foe, don't know, cut. And so what ends up happening is they start slaughtering each other while they're blowing their trumpets, yelling out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon because they don't know who's in the camp. So in the end, 
these great men of valour slaughter themselves, and the ones that did survive took off. And so did all the people took off, and the children of Israel were saved. One man, come on, with faith, yeah. with 300 few good men, changed the history of the children of Israel at that time. We see here that um, God uses shock and awe in a way that does not make sense. Standing there as a man of war with a trumpet and a torch, you think about that, you're lighting yourself up, aren't you? You're exposing yourself because no, it's, it's dark and you're, you're holding a torch, the only, you know, a light. Uh, and, and these guys wouldn't have been close together, they would have been spread out around a large encampment. So you're exposing yourself and having faith and trust that God is with us. They got their faith because Gideon said, God is with us. So we see here the blowing of the 300 trumpets um, basically ended the Midianites' reign in Israel. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. One of the things they said in this longevity thing was, if you pray regularly, attend church regularly, maintain a faith, and live a generous life, right, you have a sense of contentment, a sense of peace. Even though you might have anguish, you come to centre yourself on something that people that don't have that often don't have. You know, rise of anxiety, all of those things have come because people don't know how to centre themselves anymore. Circumstances will prevail us. It's like the lobster. The lobster, you know, the lobster will shed its outer shell while it's growing. And when it gets rid of its shell, it becomes vulnerable because it doesn't have a shell to protect it. So it has to get used to the uncertainty and the, and the vulnerability until it has time to grow a new shell. That's life for us. Yeah. Sometimes we're going to be vulnerable. Sometimes we're going to have uncertainty. But we've got to have confidence that God is with us. We're going to face storms all the time. But you know, Jesus says, I give you peace. And I give you a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. In 1991, eight scientists created an artificial environment in Arizona called the Biosphere number two, and it was designed to see whether they could establish something on the moon. Okay, they lived inside it for two years. They made a self-sustaining community. They built trees. They wanted to create rainforests uh, because one of those things reproduces air, uh, oxygen for us to breathe. But after a while, they found all these trees were starting to rise up and then fall over. What they didn't replicate was wind. What they didn't realise at the time was you need wind for a tree to grow. Tree is that gets that little bit of wind blowing against it, buffeting against the tree, and as it's growing, it's getting stronger and stronger because of the buffeting of the wind is what makes us strong. So when the storm comes, it can withstand the storm. We shouldn't be scared of the wind. Not scared of the wind at all. We should let thank you, Jesus, for this trial right now, because I am going to come out of this in a way. That means my capacity is growing. I am in control of my destiny. You know, even our church is going through a time of uncertainty and change because we're in our third location since, or second location since COVID. But this is just a time for us to to take the blessing of this 
as we move forward to our permanent home and work towards that and pray for that and declare that and make that our declaration, our permanent home. You know what I mean? So when we get uncertainty, let us not panic. Let's center our soul and know that God is with us. If you want to get to a destination, there's three things you need. You need a cause, you need effort, and you need a direction. If you don't have a cause or you don't have effort and you don't have direction, the destination is going to be wherever the wind takes you. If you're a ship, it'll be wherever the water takes you, the water current takes you. If you want to achieve something and you want a destiny and you want to meet that destination, you need to have a cause, the name of Jesus. You need to put effort in and you need to have a firm direction. Know what God has purposed in your heart. What has God put in your heart that breaks your heart? That song we sing, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. The one thing that he's put specifically into you to be your driving force. And it could be simply that you raised an amazing family. It could be that you are an amazing neighbour. It could be that you are an amazing teacher or, a, or an amazing whatever that you impact the world today. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.